episode 23 of Hug Your People. It seems like, uh, seems like yesterday that I started this thing, but um, we're at 23 now today. I'm going to talk a little bit about 9-11. Today is September 12th, and I couldn't do it yesterday. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that and why this year kind of hit me harder than most and give you an update on Bax, where we are, what we're up to, and what he's up to, his new interests, and uh, his, definitely his new appetite. So thank you for listening to Hug Your People. This is Kevin, episode 23. So we caught an audible, and uh, we are back in Charleston um, for chemotherapy with Baxley, and it's just fitting to be back here and back outside. And I'll be honest with you, it kind of feels like coming back to where this whole thing started. Because I think the first one I did, I was walking down the sidewalk from Ronald McDonald House to MUSC here in Charleston, and that kind of uh, kind of feels like what's happening here. So it's um, definitely good to to be back and share this with you guys. So let's talk about 9/11. I always pause when that comes up for some reason because it just no, not for some reason. So. I think here's why it hit me so hard this year, obviously, you know, the obvious, but uh, I lived in New York City during 9-11 in 2001. I lived at First and First, uh, which is Lower East Village, and um, I guess I'll just tell you my version of that story, and everybody has their own, and it doesn't make one person's better than the next, or one person's more difficult than the next, it really doesn't. Um, I think you you just have a lot of different perspectives around the same event. And when something like that happens, it makes a huge impact on people. And it makes a, uh, for me, it made a dent. And so being a man and trying to find my way and trying to figure out my career and figure out what I was doing and why, um, 9/11 made a made a pretty significant dent in in that. Um, my parents' divorce made another dent in, in that, and that came before that. So, so I think as you go through life, and you know, you have to be very mindful of the dents that you're collecting, and the the, the wear and tear that that you're going through, and um, and the recovery period, and and how you're overcoming these these things, and so. Um, I don't need to look in a book to tell you that it was a beautiful Tuesday morning in New York City on September 11th, 2001. Uh, I don't need to look at a video. Uh, I don't need to. Uh, I don't. I don't need to uh, go anywhere to remember what the twin towers looked like as they were burning and falling. Um, I, I. I was there. I didn't watch TV all day. I watched it from my living room and from my roof. And so, um, so it's very raw. It was a very raw day for me. Still is. And when you go through something like that, it the smells, the sights, the people that were around you really become part of that memory. So I got a call from a friend of mine, and uh, who didn't live in New York, and uh, she said, uh, "Are you okay?" And I said, "Yeah." Yeah, just waking up. Um, I worked in restaurants at the time, so I was working late. So uh, I was waking up around 8.30, quarter to nine. This was actually probably more like closer to quarter to nine, nine o'clock. And um, I 
said, yeah, I'm okay, why? She said, look out your window. And I looked out the window and uh, I saw that one of the, the World Trade Center towers was smoking. It, it was smoking and we all know now what happened. And at that time, it looked like, from my house, it looked like a Cessna, like a small plane, had run into the side of the building. And uh, my first thought was like, oh my gosh, like, that's crazy. Like, there's no way. I hope nobody was in the building was hurt. It, it was still early enough where that was possible. But, you know, then again, it's New York and Wall Street and all that. So as we start, as the day unfolded, you know, um, my roommate, one of my roommates worked in advertising, uh, Ryan, who I've known more than half of my life. Um, still a good friend of mine today, even though we don't get to see each other or talk to each other very often. Um, and my other roommate worked on Wall Street, and some of my neighbors did. So there was definitely concern at that point. After after seeing what I saw, like it wasn't over concerning. It was just like, oh wow, uh, okay, let me turn on the news, see if I can get some information. And I think it was sometime between the time we turned the news on to the time the second plane hit that things just got really tense and, and it was real from the get but it got really tense as far as what are we going to do you know you're sitting here on an island and things are happening you don't know what's going on so you start piecing things together and looking at what um, what your options are you know and I remember standing on the roof we, we lived in a small building I think it was like seven floors, and we lived on the fourth floor, apartment 4F at first and first. And um, I remember we, we decided to go to the roof to get a better viewpoint of, of, the, of what was going on and just kind of see. So it was me and my roommates and my neighbors, and a lot of the building were up there. And um, we got up there, and we were there probably... 15 minutes or so, long enough for me to go back down and grab a disposable camera and come back up and snap a couple pictures. And I remember after I snapped probably the second or third picture, that was when the first tower fell. And that was the first point in time where I was fearful of my life. Um, and not, not in the sense like I was close enough for me to be part of it, but the sense that, like I said, we were on an island no one knew what the attacks were, how broad they were, what the scope was like. And you're in the biggest, one of the biggest cities in the world, surrounded by a lot of people. It's a very, um, it's a very volatile situation. And when the first tower fell and the plume of smoke engulfed a 40-foot or 40-story building and 50-story buildings, and it got, it got real, and it got. You know, that, at that point you understood that we were in a war, we were under attack. And, and the first thought I remember having was, how do I get the fuck off this island? Excuse my language. It's very New Yorker of me, but um, that was the first thought that I remember having. Back then, you also have to look at cell towers, like this was back in the days of two-way day, two pagers, and we had cell phones, of course, but not like we do today. And so the, all the line, all the towers coming in and out of New York were being utilized for emergency 
um, personnel. So none of my family could get a hold of me. I couldn't get a hold of them. Um, I didn't work at the World Trade Center, so there was really no reason for them to think that I was there, but you know how situations like that go. It, um, you go straight to the worst case scenario. So it was a couple days before my mom could get a hold of me on the phone. Um, and this was way before Facebook. So I think I sent, I'd sent her an email uh, or something and, um, you know, said that I was okay. Obviously I was okay. So we, um, so we went through that, through that. And I think that was tough enough. And I'm really, I think at this point I'm better for it, you know, for having gone through it, excuse the planes. That's really odd that telling the story and their planes going by I still get a little bit of a pause when I hear a plane that low like the one that just went overhead I still get a little pause it's it's more reaction I don't feel the fear I don't feel the, the pit in my stomach like I used to but I remember the year after 9-11 in New York I would see a plane and it would just I would physically feel stress and um just that was the that was the impact that it had on me so um I was very fortunate to not know anyone uh, who passed away uh, in 9-11, but I was also close enough to smell the smoke and hear the sirens and breathe the dust. And, you know, our apartment, I remember, because it was fall, is a great time to be for windows to be open, and we had to keep the windows closed because, depending on the direction of the wind, the soot and the ashes would blow into our house and cover everything. And... Um, and, you know, three guys living together. It wasn't like it was a palace of cleanliness <laughs> at that point. You know, we were in our mid to late 20s. You know, it was uh, was what it was. But when you uh, when you take something and you blow ashes into it and you can visibly see it, that's a different problem. So we kept the windows shut. But that was that was the reality at that time. And um, so now fast forwarding to a year later. Uh, almost to the day, a year, that was the August after 9-11, I stayed in New York, and then the next year I, I decided to move to Los Angeles, that, um, and for no particular reason, it was just, uh, it was time to go, I was doing a little bit of acting at the time, and it was time to go to, to Los Angeles for new adventure, and I remember driving through Oklahoma on 9-11-2012, and I don't remember exactly what went on, I just remember the idea of why isn't this a bigger deal to people, why isn't why, is it, why aren't the radio people talking more about 9-11? And I don't know what I needed. I don't know what I expected. I don't know what... Um, I, I just I, I, Again, I don't remember... I remember having that thought. I don't remember any of the circumstances around that thought, which is a very... It's a very peculiar recall to have that you remember it not being a big deal for anybody but me. Um, that was probably some internalization of a lot of stuff, different things going on in my life at the time, but um, I just remember that. And, uh, you know, luckily I've moved on from that and I've, I've got a perspective that I, that I can say didn't come easy, but that I'm glad came. And so I tell you that story because September 11th this year, you know, every year I, I have a certain feeling about it. Every year I, I think about it and I remember it and um, I don't want to go back there, but I think it's important to remember and to try to learn something new. And I think every year I learn something new about my experience in New York on 9-11. This year, um, I think the greatest thing that I was aware of was 
our ability to overcome adversity and how important it is to lean into love when bad things happen. You know, when 9-11 in New York, the day was terrible, the months after it were terrible on a lot of fronts, but there was a particular front where things were not terrible. New Yorkers loved each other, they hugged each other, they had compassion, they had empathy. Um, there was no shoulder bumping walking down the sidewalk with you know, curse words. There was, I didn't see much of that um, as before. I saw a lot of standing ovations for police officers when they walked into a bagel shop. I saw a lot of, let me pick up your tab. I saw a lot of, no, you get on first. I saw a lot of, uh, this is your cab, not mine. I saw a lot of that, and so when you go through something like my family's going through now, and you can recall that, and you can recall how important love is, and connection is, and friends are, and family are, um, and being nice, and being empathetic to other people, and having compassion for someone else's day. I think when you can recall how important that is, and then all of a sudden your son gets cancer, it's very, uh, it's a blessing to have been where I was on September 11, 2001, because I needed to go through that and learn those lessons because I was gonna be here one day and I needed to show up in a different way than I would have had I not been through that. That's how I have to, that's what I believe. That's how I have to believe because that's the only way that any of this makes sense. Um, that's really the only way that any of this makes sense is that when you go through something and you learn the lesson that relying on love and relying on connection and relying on people and not being afraid when people want to help and not now not being afraid, it can be uncomfortable and it still is, but not being afraid to ask for help. You know, those are all life lessons that I probably wouldn't have gotten otherwise because I didn't have many people in my life at that time uh, really stepping up to the plate to to help me and I certainly was not asking for, for help and I didn't know that I needed it probably to be honest with you um, and so that's I think that's what I got out of this year with 9-11 um, it was it was a somber day you know and my wife and I started off in an argument and it was probably not because of anything else that I wake up on September 11th with a chip on my shoulder a little bit I wake up a little pissed off that people had to hurt and that I hurt and that um, that it happened to begin with. And as I process my day, as I go through my day, I really start to lean into love. And it really, it's kind of like 9-11 and the next year of my life condensed into like four hours. The emotional process is very, very similar. Now that I'm acknowledging that and saying it out loud, I probably need to change that. <laughs> so I, I think I'll spend a little time this year and making sure that the next 9-11 isn't, isn't like that for me and my family. So, um, so I hope whatever you were doing on 9-11, I hope you remember it. Um, most people do. But I hope you also go deep on it and realize what you really learned from it and what the real value of going through something like that might be. And something that's come up in my life this year more than any other time is how short life is and how each moment could be the last moment of a certain thing and that's not a good way to live but it's a good awareness to have you know before you get mad that someone cut you in line or cut you off getting on the freeway or that you know you, you didn't get the promotion or uh, 
you know, whatever the case may be, I think a good, good mentality is I don't have to, I get to, you know, I don't, I don't have to show up and be positive and sell hug your people hats to give to the kids, or I don't have to donate wagons and I don't have to help my clients and I don't have to work from home and I don't have to, you know, feel the things I feel I get to. And as long as I keep the idea that I get to, I don't have to, it kind of makes things a little easier. And the good news is I get to learn something from 9-11. I don't have to, I get to. And I get to experience that day every year and every year I get to be better than I was before. And I think that's the importance of it. So while I wouldn't go back to that apartment at first and first, I wouldn't go back to living in 4F. Um, I'm very grateful that I got to. I'm very grateful that I had the group of guys around me that were that, that were around me that day. I wish I could have shown up differently. I wish I could have been a little more involved myself, but I wasn't, and I can't change that. And um, as we all move forward, I'm very glad to still be in contact with a few of those guys, and, and you know we share that bond and. Um, you know, some of my closest friends lived in New York. My friend Wayne lived in New York at the time, down on Spring Street, and uh, he's been one of my close friends for the last 25, 30 years, and um, still is, still is. And so I'm very grateful for that. All right, so let's talk about my son, because that's my favorite topic. It really, as hard as it is to talk about 9-11, I find that it's getting easier as long as I'm being more and more honest about it. Um, the reason it was hard to begin with is because I was suppressing a little bit, I suspect. And now that uh, cancer is in my life and I've devoted myself to doing things like this podcast that serve me over, uh, over the greater good, even though I, I hope someone's finding good in it, I think you are, um, I think that's helping all around. So let's talk about cancer. Cancer sucks. <laughs> it does. There's no way to dice it. There's no way to dice it. But my son is awesome. My son is amazing. My son makes me proud every single day. And he teaches me something every single day. And he is uh, just the most remarkable young man. And he's going to be the most remarkable man. And I'm very, very biased. But this world is very lucky to have Baxley Hoover in it. And he's going to do some amazing things. Some of the changes that have happened, he's, his hair is growing back. And I think he wants his hair to not grow back. You know, he told me the other day, he said, Daddy, we need another haircut. And I said, absolutely, son, we certainly do. And um, we're kind of letting him dictate what that looks like, what that feels like. Um, but for now, his hair's growing back and it looks more like dad's than it, than it did before. And I think he likes, he likes that aspect of it. So um, that's the big change. His appetite, he's eating like a teenager. Um, and we're, we are on an appetite stimulant. We had to kind of reduce that back a little bit because his little body wants to eat more than it can process, um, meaning there's a lot more input than output, which can be a problem. But he has gained weight and he looks healthy and he, he's happy and he's got energy and he's, um, he's just doing his thing. The biggest challenge we face right now is uh, something called neuropathy. And basically it just affects the way he walks, his legs, his um, motor skills, as far as his hand movements, his, his feet movement. He walks around on his tiptoes because it, it hurts him when his feet go flat on the floor. Uh, and he's a little bit of a balancing act, but he still moves, still moves around, still finds a way. So that's the biggest thing we're facing now. And we've um, kind of, vincristine is one of the portions of chemotherapy, is one of the, the, 
the chemos that we use, and we had to pause. Vincristine is the, one of the causes of, of neuropathy, so we had to pause on that a little bit until he gets a little better. He is on medication for it, and he's on physical. He's got physical therapy, and we'll start occupational therapy um, as well. We've had the blessing of having uh, Miss Tracy come to our house three days a week. Miss Tracy has known Baxley since he was six months old. She was a teacher at his preschool, and she is. Um, Kind, kind enough to come to our house three days a week and continue the learning with numbers and letters and shapes and music and crafts and things like that while Suzanne and I get back to work. And so um, he really enjoys that. It kind of gives him a break from us, which is probably a good thing that he gets a little break from us. Um, and so that's, that's really uh, really been a, been a blessing to have that three days a week. But um, all signs are showing great with Baxley. We were expecting a big dip in his blood count coming off the last round of chemo. Um, and so as we evacuated for the hurricane, we were very aware that he may be at a very vulnerable state as we're staying in hotels and being in restaurants and things like that. And um, his blood count never dropped. It, it, last week it was 3,200, which was great going into our sort of the, the process and um, this week his labs came back. We just got them back a few, you know, probably an hour ago and the doctors were like, it's amazing. This is amazing. His hemoglobin's great. He doesn't need a transfusion. Everything is looking great from a lab perspective. And um, that was really amazing to hear and amazing to see that we're actually not in a, a vulnerable spot, even though all indications said that we probably should have been, our blood count should have been low. Everything should have been compromised as far as uh, his ability to fight infection and uh, his ability to be in public and to go to do things that normal kids do that should have been compromised but it just wasn't and um, that's just really amazing so these little I don't know if miracles is the right word um, we we believe in God and, and we we pray a lot and uh, we don't believe there are accidents and we don't believe that there are um, that there's luck involved. Uh, we believe everything happens for a reason and that the strength we have is for a reason and that the things we get to do are for a reason. And we believe that Baxley's purpose is bigger than we'll understand right now. So when things like this happen, we just give a little nod, give him a big hug, say a little prayer, and, and so it is. And so it is. And we move on. And um, we're very happy today. So we're, we're here in Charleston for the day getting our, our clinical, which means we just stay for the day. We drive in. We left at about 7 o'clock this morning. And um, we'll head back at about 5. It is a full day. So that's kind of what we do. But all things are showing good. Our next round of scans come in October where we'll know kind of what radiation, our trip to Florida this summer, what radiation did for us. Um, we'll kind of know what our next steps are as far as possible surgery with the Mayo Clinic. Uh, we are still leaning that way, but we really have to make those decisions based on the scans. So that's kind of where we sit. Um, we have rock solid foundation coming to our house in a couple weeks to build a playground for back so that he can play. It's really a challenge to get him to the playground and, um, and safely play. He has to wear a mask and sometimes gloves. Of course, there's lots of sanitizer. There's his balance is off, so there's a challenge there. So having one in our backyard, which um, we had planned to do eventually, but you know, obviously when things like 
chemotherapy and travel and every you know treating cancer comes up the expense priorities kind of shift a little bit so playground wasn't in our budget it wasn't in our uh, our priority to to spend money on so rock solid foundation really jumped up to the rescue and said let's give this little boy a playground um, they worked together with lowe's and some volunteers and next uh, two weeks from friday from today we'll be putting baxley a playground in and um, that's just going to be a fun time i'll do a lot of social media lives from that we'll make sure that um, we we broadcast that so that you can see so that rock solid foundation can spread their work and and their message as well so all things forward all things forward baxley's doing great we are very uh, very lucky uh, to be able to say that because we do see a lot of kids who aren't able to say that and we just are thankful that we're able to impact some lives along the way with the wagons and the hats and everything that, that goes on with that. So thank you for your thoughts and prayers. Thank you for your financial support. Thank you for your Facebook messages, your, your likes, your shares, everything that goes in. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Um, all of that is considered a time capsule for Baxley. This podcast is something Baxley can go back and listen to when he's my age and know what dad was thinking. And I hope one day we'll get Suzanne on here and we'll know what mom was thinking. Um, he'll have to he'll have plenty of memories to go on but that's really the reason for it to help us navigate these waters so um, keep that up for us if you don't mind and uh, and we'll keep reporting and cluing you in and making you part of the process as well there it is 23 episodes of hug your people in the can so to speak as they say in the movie biz or in the music biz um, this is, I don't know why 23 was just so exci- exciting for me. Um, I think it has to do with, I'm going to make a stretch here. Um, I think it has to do with 23 being Michael Jordan's number. Uh, Michael Jordan being a North Carolina fella like me. Um, and also I started training this week with the guy who coached Michael Jordan. Uh, one of his physical and mindset coaches, um, Tim Grover. I started training with him on Tuesday to help my mindset so that I can get through this stuff a little better. And um, so I think that's might be why I'm bringing the energy into this one. I know that's a stretch and I know that does, that's, that's probably me being a little bit wishful and a little bit optimistic, but that's what I do, that's the way I get through it. So I wanna thank you for listening. I wanna thank you for buying out the first 100 Hug Your People hats. We have another 100 on order and we purchased 50 kid sizes so we're going to be able to give hug your people hats to the, the kids of uh, kids with wagons and we're going to be able to give them to you guys and sell them to get donations so uh, that's exciting wagons are going we've got 10 more wagons funded here comes another plane and uh, interesting but that's what's going on we really appreciate you guys this is kevin episode 23 of hug your people